song a lot. <laughs> Get better at it, I promise. It's going to be good. <laughs> All right, let's go Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, we will also be in Ephesians chapter 3 here in just a little bit. Uh, so if you're the type that likes to, you know, bookmark everything, here is your shot. I'm giving you your heads up. Uh, Hebrews 10. Ephesians chapter 3. Um, if you're watching online at home, uh, grab a Bible real quick. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, that's okay. We'll put our text up on the screens behind me in just a second and also on your screen at home. Uh, we believe that God uses his word for all kinds of important things, but chief among those important things is that he uses it to reveal himself to his people. Uh, we believe uh, that God uses his word in a big way like that, and so that's one of the reasons why we're constantly trying to get people's noses in Bibles around here. Uh, we think God's going to actually do something with that. Uh, and so if you don't have a Bible of your very own, whether you're in this room or you're outside of this room watching us online, uh, give me a call after we're done here. Shoot me an email, whatever it is, write it in the comments. I'd love to fix that. We can actually fix that pretty too sweet. All right. So because of COVID, all right, uh, we shut down our in-person gathering uh, exactly three months ago now. All right, our last in-person gathering was March 15th. So uh, it's been exactly three months or right at three months. And, and while it's true that our church family has, has uh, kind of shifted to these digital online platforms incredibly well, way better than we all honestly assumed going into it, uh, even though it's true that, that we can celebrate that God did this and God did that and, 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 and blessed be his name that, that we haven't just fallen apart in this season, even though we can celebrate those things, I don't think anybody at all would ever try to argue that it's exactly the same, right? There's always been this piece that's just kind of felt off. It just hasn't gotten all the, quite, all the way quite there to, to what we hope for and long for and remember. See, it doesn't matter how, how great the production value is. We got a fancy camera. We have nice computers. We have people who know how to use them and run them and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter what the production value is. It doesn't matter if we went low tech or high tech. I think everybody instinctively understands that God has intended more for us than that, right? I mean, nobody argues that. And while there are very real reasons why someone would need to continue staying at home right now, legitimate health concerns. Those, those, are, those are real issues that we need to prayerfully consider and, 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 and use wisdom, God-given wisdom to, to navigate through. There are also, at the very same time though, very real reasons why we max out how many people we can have in this room this morning. There are very real reasons why many in our church family were desperate to get back in this room. Right? And so when I started thinking through how God's word should frame this moment, this moment of a first week back gathered together, when I started thinking through, okay, well, well, how should we open up God's word and let it inform how we see the world and how we see ourselves? When I started thinking through all that stuff, there's this, there's this verse in Hebrews that kept rising to the surface for me. And, and so it's, it's a verse that gets quoted a lot. It really does. It, almost exclusively, though, by, by church-going people speaking to those who claim to follow Jesus but don't do a very good job at showing up at church. You probably already know the verse I'm, I'm talking about. Um, it, it's a tone 
that, get, that it gets quoted with, the tone that it gets quoted with, uh, usually carries a good bit of, well, I, I would call it legalism packaged with it, all right? Um, but I think God has also given us this glorious opportunity, this wonderful chance this morning to redeem that verse from the legalists. And so read it with me. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 24. The writer of Hebrews says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, capital D, drawing near. Okay, so it's the don't stop going to church verse, right? Don't you neglect it. Don't you skip a Sunday. How dare you think of such a thing? Even has a helpful little qualifier there to really kind of drive the, the screw home, right? So, uh, as is the habit of some, right? It's a very religious person way of saying, don't stop going to church now. You've heard of those other people. They might neglect it, but don't you neglect it. So, so what do we do with this, right? What do we... How should we, Nashua Baptist Church, in this season, or any other season, look at, view Hebrews 10.25? Well, I think, I think we can find some help somewhere else. We're, we're going to come back to Hebrews in a moment and look further at the context that verse 25 is sitting in. But before we do that, I think, I think our purpose could be served this morning uh, by actually taking a step out of Hebrews and looking somewhere else uh, in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 3. So hold your finger in uh, Hebrews, flip back to your left, all right, to Ephesians chapter 3 with me real fast. And I think it'll help us kind of frame what Hebrews is talking about. So I think things uh, will make a lot better sense in Hebrews if we take a moment to look carefully at an assumption that I think is, that is buried in what the church actually is. All right? Before we, we talk about neglecting uh, meeting together, we need to understand a, a core level assumption coursing through the, the rest of the New Testament about what the church is. An assumption that all of the writers of the New Testament carry into their writing, Okay? And so Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the, in the city of Ephesus. And, and Paul starts this letter by, by unpacking the gospel in massive detail. All right? But he then follows that gospel message up, that gospel detail up, by walking them, walking this church through all of the implications of the gospel in both their personal and their corporate lives, their communal lives. And Ephesians 3, starting in verse 7, Paul says this, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So we'll call a time out there and keep going in a second. All right, so 
If this were an expository series through the book of Ephesians, we would have several weeks of exegesis to stand on in this moment, uh, to stand on the shoulders of right now. And so uh, we walked through the book of Ephesians as a church family a couple of years ago now. And so that's all online if you're really interested in going and, and checking all that out and, and wanting to, to dig into Ephesians as much as Ephesians deserves. Right? Uh, but, but if you weren't here for that, or, or maybe you were here for that and your rememberer just needs a little bit of refreshing, all right, let me give you the, the ultra-quick Stephen Woodard uh, version of what Paul just said. What's the gist of his argument? It's this. The Bible teaches, the Bible teaches that God's plan from before the foundation of the world was to draw sinful and rebellious men and women from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation into his eternal kingdom. That was his plan from before the foundation of the world. That's a Revelation 5 reality. But God's plan isn't just some, uh, some plan B patch job. He's not making this up as he goes. The eternal and infinite creator and king of the cosmos doesn't need to clean up his PR image and, and try to figure out how to, how to pull some more diversity in. No, this has been God's plan from before there was a world for it to play out in. It has always been his plan. Which is interesting when you think about it, because if you know your Bible very well, then you know that only a couple of years before Paul wrote this letter, there weren't a whole lot of non-Jews in his kingdom. He operated through one people, the Jews. And he kept that plan rolling for a couple of millennia, just the Jews. And here in Ephesians 3, here in Ephesians 3, Paul says that there is a reason why God did it that way. In his infinite wisdom, bigger than I can comprehend, in his infinite wisdom, God kept the full reality of his multi-ethnic plan a mystery until this point so that he could give it a giant reveal. So he could yank back the curtain and leave us all dumbfounded at who he is, what he has done, and what he is doing. Church family, the appropriate response to watching God gather the nations to himself is to go, whoa. Whoa. How great is our God. We're in the words of Psalm 145.3 that, that uh, JB quoted earlier. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Unsearchable. The appropriate response to God gathering the nations to himself in celebration is awe. It's to be left undone by him. And it is a significant piece of the eternal worship that we will all walk in and experience in a heaven to come. Get ready for it. It's going to go on for ages. but as big of a celebration as that is and deserves, it actually gets a lot better. It's not, it's not the only thing we will be celebrating because in verse 9, it, it doesn't end with a period, it ends with a comma. The sentence keeps going, so let's keep reading. Verse 9, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, comma, so that... 
So this eternal, multi-ethnic plan of God has been kept a mystery to serve a greater end. And so what is that end? Verse 10, so that through the what? The church, the manifold or multi-layered wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul says that the eternal, God's eternal plan to gather a redeemed people around his throne from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Paul says that God desires designed that plan uh, to use a key agent to bring about its fruition, the church. That's what he's going to use to bring about that moment. As the nations gather around his throne from every tribe, every tongue, every people, it's going to be the church that brought them there. It's the plan that he's using. And if this were some kind of mission-sending celebration, the music would swell and everybody would get all teary-eyed and, and emotional about it. And we would talk about how great it is that God has given us this global body of followers of Jesus, this global body of Christians. And we would celebrate how great it is that God gave us the church with a capital C, right? All people of God from every place and every time. How great is our God? I've been a part of moments like that. How about you? I've led moments like that. It's very common in Christian circles. The problem with that idea, though, is that it completely ignores what Paul actually said. Completely ignores it. So every single time, and I mean every single time, you see the word church in the New Testament. 114 times according to my concordance in my office. Every single time you see the word church in the New Testament, the Greek word that it's translating there is the word ekklesia. Ekklesia. Ekklesia has nothing to do with the global body of Christ followers. It sometimes gets used in that tense in Christian circles, but that's not what actually the word means. Ekklesia means a gathering. But not just some random crowd, a gathering with a purpose. There's intentionality buried in this word. The only time I can find the word ecclesia being used to talk about the full body of Christ, capital C, church, is in the book of Revelation when the whole capital C church is gathered in one place. It's a gathering. 114 times throughout the New Testament, the church is assumed to be a local, recognizable, and intentional gathering of God's people. That's what it is. No matter where you want to point to, no matter what topic is currently being discussed in that part of the Bible, and the topics are as diverse as anything can be, no matter where you point, no matter what the topic is, the church, the church, the ecclesia is a local gathering. It's an assumption that the writers of the New Testament carry into everything they write. When you're talking about church discipline or Christian liberty or racial and cultural barriers, here in Ephesians 3, in Ephesians 3.10, we, we learn that the local church is the key agent in God's eternal and multicultural disciple-making effort. His plan, the agent of his plan. 
Yes and amen, the church is called to scatter for the sake of making disciples of all nations. But in the very same, at the very same time, in the very same breath, the, the church is also called to gather for the sake of making disciples of all nations. We breathe in, we breathe out. We breathe in, we breathe out. And this is one of the things that frustrated just me the absolute most in all the caricatures that got thrown around early on in the shutdown conversations. I don't know if you came across this argument, but I did. People who have no idea what they're talking about theologically trying to argue that Christians, well, they can still read their Bibles at home and they can still pray at home. It's not any different. Yes, Christians can and should read their Bibles and pray at home. We highly encourage that around here. Yes and amen. Go do that. We'll give you tools to do it better. But gathering is not simply a nice thing for a church to do when it's able to pull it off. Gathering is a core component of what a church is. It's not the ecclesia without it. Now, that's not to say that we were wrong to shut down. We, we did it all for God's glory, right? It was good and right to do so for a while. It really was. We honored our leaders. We worked to protect our community. Those are both gigantic wins for us. We'll do it again if we have to. We will. But to try and argue that it's the same thing, it fundamentally misunderstands who we are. It just does. A husband and wife don't cease being married when the husband goes off to war. They're, they're, still, they're still married. But it doesn't matter how noble the cause is, no one in their right mind would try to argue that it's the same thing. It's just not. Well, you can still talk to each other on the phone. That bond that is naturally tied together has been forced apart, right? It's been torn apart. And newsflash, that causes pain. Causes pain. There's a very real reason why you start sobbing whenever you come across one of those videos on Facebook where the soldier surprises everybody and comes home, right? There's a reason why that wells something up in you. It's good and Right, there's also a very real reason, very real reason why despite the production value of our live stream and despite how well our volunteers have made this stuff happen the last three months, things have never felt the same. You just can't get all the way there. It's always just a little bit off. There's a reason for that. Gathering is not something simply a nice thing for a church to do. Gathering is a core component of who we are. And when we're forced to separate, no matter how noble the cause might be, it causes pain, right? It causes pain. And, and, and depending on whatever we're, we're looking at in the, in the New Testament, on any given topic, that thing that it's talking about, when it's, when it's built on the assumption that, that God's people gather together as this thing called the church, the ecclesia, that thing, whatever it is, is going to be weakened when the church can't gather together. It always will be. It can't help it. According to Ephesians 3, not being able to gather will stunt our in-person part of disciple-making the world. Our responsibility to take the gospel to the nations. And so how should we look at, at Hebrews 10.25? How does that logic help us, inform us on our view of a passage in Hebrews that legalists like to quote? Well, turn back there with me. How do we look at the, the don't stop going to church first? Instead of starting in 24, we're going to back up just a little bit and start in verse 19. Give us just a tiny bit more context. The writer of Hebrews says this, 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, uh, places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another into love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, the as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, so because we have been given the local church, the ecclesia, as a gift both for our good and for God's glory, because Jesus, through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, has opened to us the opportunity, that's the word, the opportunity to be gathered as a body in his name. The writer of Hebrews here, they can't seem to figure out why anyone in their right mind would ever choose not to be a part of that. That's his point. Their point, whoever they are. It doesn't make any sense to them. Why would you choose not to be a part of that? It's this gathering. God, Jesus has opened the door for us to be a part of this. What are you doing not being here? We can call a spade a spade for a moment. Follower of Jesus, if you see the church correctly, no one has to twist your arm to be in this room. No one. We don't have to come up with some kind of fancy program, give prizes away at the door. No one. Are there legitimate reasons to, to, to separate for a little while? Absolutely there are. Absolutely. Whether it's a major catastrophe forced upon us or, or maybe just the wisdom of the moment. Getting sick, going on vacation, being out of town. Those are all obvious things. We don't have to, we don't have to let the legalists have that verse back. It's not theirs. But we can also assume for a second, if this is a place that we can be honest, that those aren't the concerns and major struggles of our culture. They're just, they're just not. For, for many people, the ecclesia is seen as nothing more than one of several good options on a weekend. No one would ever say it's bad, but there's just all these other good things that we got to worry about. Yes, it's important, but the calendar's kind of full right now. For many people. That's all the gathering is, is one of several good options. But the writer of Hebrews, they, they just don't know what to do with that kind of logic. They don't understand that kind of thinking. It doesn't make any sense to them. And so Hebrews 10.25, it has nothing to do with a legalistic push to make sure our attendance numbers stay up. Not even a little bit. It's a, it's a fleshing out of the New Testament's core assumption that you need the ecclesia and the ecclesia desperately needs you. We need each other. And the moment that that, re that reality finally clicks home in our heads and, our, and in our hearts, the should I gather with the rest of the church family question, it doesn't have to be legalistic. It just answers itself. You don't have to force it in that moment. I mean, you got something better to do? Is there honestly a more valuable way to spend your time? And so what do we, what do, we do with this, right? What, what do we do with this? Like, 
sure, gathering with the saints, that's important. Yeah, absolutely. But how do we actually flesh this out in a practical way? I mean, should we figure out how, what the minimum percentage is and, and then, you know, keep a counter at the door and, and, you know, you have to be here at least this much in order to, you know, maintain your salvation? Is that, is that how it works? Does everybody, everybody get a punch card? Ten visits in a row and you'll play your favorite song that next week? How do grace-filled, mature followers of Jesus put Hebrews 10.25 into action? Instead of making it a club to beat people with, how do those who understand the value and the beauty of what's going on here, how do we actually put this into action? Especially in a season where there are real health issues, real concerns. Like, like nobody's doubting that. If you're watching from home because you, you couldn't make it out the door this morning because you're at, at high risk, like nobody's doubting that's true. That's good and right and wise. I would argue that it may, might even be at the top of the good excuses list. On top of that, we have others in our church family that it's less of a physical concern, but there's, there's still a real reason that you worry about coming back into large groups. Man, I get it. That's not out of bounds. We've been saying for weeks around here that, that, that you need to make the best prayerful decision for you. And we're going to trust that you're walking deeply with God and humbly asking him for wisdom and that he's going to work out the details. We're, he's big enough to do that. We meant what we said. We're not rushing you back here. We have some people in the room this morning. We also have a fourth group here at NBC. Like, we actually had to limit the number of folks that we allowed in the room this morning. Right? So there are actual people in our church family who wanted to be here, but we had to shut the registration off at 50 folks who tried to get here, but they were kept from getting here. And so how in the world, like seriously, how in the world do you call God's people to not neglect meeting together in June of 2020? I mean, should we just stay away from that verse for a while? Or is it still good for us today? How do followers of Jesus put Hebrews 10.25 into action this morning? And I think this is where we all need, need to see God's commands with spiritually mature eyes. See, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you learn that your motivation matters. Your motivation matters. Your actions totally matter. They don't, there's never a moment that they don't matter. But over and over and over again, Jesus seems to always want to go after the heart that those actions flow out of. He's just dogged about it. Like a doctor solving the illness rather than just the symptoms, Jesus tends to go after the source of our persistent and indwelling sin. He chases it down. One poet a long time ago called him the hound of heaven. Our reason why is oftentimes a better indicator than the action or the inaction itself. The hard part about this, though, is if, if your heart is anything like my heart, it becomes a factory of excuses the moment you start to challenge it. Anybody else? We all have a pretty deep storehouse of the yeah buts. If you don't believe me, just get online later. But you remember what we talked about last week? 
you, you can't serve two masters. Jesus had these wise words to say, and we applied them to our two young ladies who are graduating high school. You can't, you can't serve two masters. Whether, whether you're here in person or you're watching us online this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, man, I, I think your response, whenever you come across God's word, is to repent of sin and to press into God. And so this morning, we ask him to search our hearts, right? That, that's what we do. We ask him to search our hearts. We ask God to, to reveal our motivations concerning gathering together or neglecting the gathering together. But we also, last week, talked about disciplining ourselves to pursue what is good and will matter 10,000 years from now, right? And that that discipline will actually lead us to love that good thing. It's no different this week. Jesus is still smarter than us. It is wrong, dead wrong, to see this gathering as something God demands of you for his sake. He doesn't need it. But it is equally wrong for us, any of us, myself included, to see this gathering as anything other than what he has joyfully given us for our sake. So forget about the legalistic white-knuckling and just ask yourself, what steps can be taken to see the ecclesia as something you desperately need? What needs to shift in our attitude and in our actions in order for it to be something that we deeply desire to be near and couldn't ever possibly live without for very long? I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. That's a, that's a time for you to put action to what God is stirring in your heart. Do, do you think our God is big enough to, and good enough to lead you in that pathway? I, I think he is. If you're watching this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I, I'm, I'm glad that you're hanging out with us, even if it's just online. Listen, you can respond to God's word too, and you do that by meeting Jesus. The Bible teaches that by default, your sin, my sin, it separates us from a holy God. It deserves his righteous wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy and loves us with a great love, made a way where there was no way. He came himself, Jesus, the eternal son of God, put on flesh and dwelt among us. He lived a sinless life that neither you nor I are capable of living. He died on the cross as a sinless, perfect, righteous substitute to make payment for your sin. And he was raised again from the dead as a vindication of his perfect righteousness. And so now he calls on you. He calls on you as the one who conquered sin and death. Or as, or as Hebrews 10, 19 puts it, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, or as verse 20 puts it, by the new and living way that he opened up, uh, opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, or as verse 22 puts it, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He calls you as the one who conquered sin and death, made payment for your sin. He now calls on you to respond in him in repentance and faith this morning. To turn away from your sin and turn to him as Savior and Lord. And you can do that this morning. You can respond to Jesus. Wherever you are, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, you can respond to Jesus because Jesus is there calling you to himself, offering to give you himself. He wants to give you himself, and he wants to give you a faith family, an ecclesia to walk with you. 
So I'm going to pray. We're going to sing again. You can, you can respond to God's word this morning by responding to Jesus. No matter where you are, man, I'd love to walk with you through that decision. If you're in the room, you can come talk to me. If not, you can contact me after we're done. All those things are good options. We'll work it out. But I'd love to, to walk with you as you uh, think through what this response of faith looks like. So let's all respond to God's word this, this morning. Father, you're good. Thank you for Hebrews. Thank you for a verse that calls us to not neglect. Tells us that we're often prone to neglect. It's in me to, to slip and to slide away from the good things you've called me to. To see them as limits to my joy rather than the fuel for my joy. To see them as another notch, another box to tick rather than a good gift from your good hand. Change my heart on that. Call me to repentance. Help me see its goodness. Help me see its beauty. Help me see its value. For my good and for your glory. Would you make this time together with the gathered church, even though only half of us are here, would you make this time as the church is gathered sweet and good and something that makes your name more famous? Father, for those who don't know you yet, would you make yourself known this morning? Would you open eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to know? Would you call your sheep to yourself? Would you help us be a good ecclesia that walks with them? As you draw men and women from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation into your kingdom. We'll be careful to give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.